Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us for episode number 34 of the Practicology Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us. Hope you're having a great day today. And if you are not already, that you will be after you enjoy Mike's teaching that he has for us today. Hey, Matthew. I I thought we could start today's episode with me just asking you a leading question. Uh, What is your favorite season? Well, I know that there is value in every season, but I think when my family hears you ask that question of me, a smile is already creeping around the corners of their mouths because they know that I love summer and summer is now fading. Um, But I will get over that. I do love summer though. All right. Well, maybe I've got something to help you out a bit. I also value all four seasons and here in Manitoba, we really do get four seasons. I love every one of them, including winter. But my favorite season of all would have to be autumn. I love the cool mornings, the golden colored leaves, the smells and sounds of harvest. And when I get into fall mode, I start thinking about Psalm 65. Okay, well, I believe this is actually our first ever autumn release in the history of the Practicology podcast, looking at the calendar. So that's very fitting what you've got for us today, Mike. Tell us, though, why why does fall make you think of Psalm 65? Well, according to the commentators, it was likely a fall harvest hymn for ancient Israel. So just listen to the beauty of the final part of this psalm as I read it. Uh, The psalmist says to, to God, he says, You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. So just try to picture it. It's been a good year for rain in Israel. God has been generous. The rivers are flowing steadily. The land is softened with rain. You can hear the wagons creaking under great weight as they make trip after trip from the fields to the barns. And each time they hit a little bump on the trail, grain goes spilling over the sides. The valleys are robed with golden wheat. The hills are clothed in rich greens and white woolly sheep. Do you see why I get thinking about this psalm during autumn, Matthew? I do see it because you have painted a beautiful word picture there, and I rejoice with you that the Bible celebrates this kind of creation beauty. We know from Romans 7 that Scripture is spiritual, but back in episode 31, I think it was, we referred, uh, we referenced the advice of John Stott, who said that nature study and Bible study should go together. He warned us many Christians have a good doctrine of redemption, but we need a better doctrine of creation. Because the Psalms also say, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. You're bringing us to that today too, Mike. So often these spiritual scriptures celebrate the physical, material world, as in the case of Psalm 65. That's right. But there's an interesting twist here. This Psalm ends with harvest, with fall, with creation, but it doesn't begin there. Let me just read to you the first part of the Psalm now. It says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. 
the holiness of your temple. So see how different the tone is there. Instead of the wagon carts and the rivers and the sheep, we've got Zion, sins, atonement, temple. David is saying, God, we had sinned against you, but you atoned for us. That is, you covered the price of our sins for us. And now you've heard our prayers again, and we get to enjoy closeness with you. In other words, this first part of the psalm is all about redemption. So here's what we have. We've got a psalm that starts out by talking about redemption and ends by celebrating creation. So we need to ask, what does redemption have to do with creation? And what does creation have to do with redemption? And if we can find an answer to those questions, we might find ourselves enjoying autumn more this fall than any year previous. We very well might. And we might also have a more integrated faith, Mike, which is what this podcast is all about. Many of us struggle at times to see how redemption and the gospel relate to the world of our five senses. We can't help but think there's a huge separation at times between the spiritual and the physical. I agree. And if we can learn what redemption has to do with creation, it will also help us in our evangelism. Many of our unbelieving friends share our excitement of nature. Some of them care about stewardship of the earth and have environmental concerns. And I just credit Christopher Ash and his comments on this psalm that, that there's an evangelistic value in us uh, growing in our understanding of how creation and redemption relate to each other. Don't we all want to find a scriptural bridge from creation to the gospel so that we can try to coax our friends over it to Christ? And I know we've been talking about the goodness of creation quite a bit on the podcast lately, but uh, as your John Stott quote um, emphasizes, Matthew, it's really important for us to grasp this. Some strands of the church are very strong on the doctrine of redemption, and I think the local church I'm a part of would, would be here in this place, but, but maybe we're a bit weak on the doctrine of creation. Other believers are the opposite, but both are vital. Okay, so let's do this. First, the immediate context of this psalm shows us how connected redemption is to creation. So how does David go from redemption to creation in this psalm? What's his flow of thought? Well, if we read the psalm very carefully, we can spot some clues as to what's going on. We don't have time to do a full exposition of the psalm, of course, right now, but let me just try to connect a few dots in the psalm. Uh, a helpful background is just to reference Solomon's prayer of dedication at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. At one point in his very lengthy prayer, he prays this. He says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they, that is the people of Israel, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And this is what's happening in our psalm. The people have sinned against God, so God withheld rain from them. Then they confessed their sins and repented, and God forgave their sins by covering the payment of them. Having forgiven them, God gladly answers their cries for rain and waters the earth abundantly, producing high-yielding crops. And now David the king is leading the people in praise of God for saving them from their sins and answering their prayers for rain. 
So in that setting, salvation from their sins led to the flourishing of creation around them. Redemption was closely tied to creation there. Precisely. Now, so far, we've just touched on one specific instance in one people's history, but we can climb up to a higher altitude and see that this is actually the story of the whole Bible at large. Remember that the Bible tells one grand overarching narrative, and the story has four chapters called Creation, Rebellion, Redemption, Consummation. The story of Psalm 65 is this, in a nutshell, it's this, because of sin, creation suffered, because of redemption, creation prospered. Well, that's the story of the Bible too. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God curse? The ground, he cursed the land. And so we see in the rest of Genesis, what happens when rain is scarce and God's people are trying to find food by going to Egypt, for instance, because of sin, creation suffered. But God promised that Eve would have a seed He promised a seed to Abraham and to David as well. And this seed has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how at a restaurant, maybe someone orders uh, the most expensive thing and, and then a little worried about sticker shock when the bill comes. But maybe a friend comes along and says, hey, I'll cover it. That's the idea of atonement. Someone covering the cost, paying our debt. And that's what Christ has done. He said regarding our sins, I'll cover it. I'll pay the price. I'll bear the curse. I'll redeem my people from their sins. And by this, he has undone the curse. He has achieved a redemption that will one day liberate creation. The specific local story of Psalm 65 is a miniature of the grand global story of the world. Because of sin, creation suffered. Because of redemption, creation will one day be set free. And I've actually had that experience of friends in the restaurant paying our bill. So thank you, friends in the West of Prince Edward Island. We don't forget about that. And thank you, Mike, for putting this psalm into the context of the whole story of Scripture and the world around us. Uh, In doing that, you've helped us see what redemption has to do with creation. Redemption is what creation needed in order for it to be restored from the damage that we've caused due to sin. Yeah, that's a helpful way of summarizing it. In one sense, God created the world so that he'd have a stage upon which he could redeem us. The universe is a theater in which God has acted in redemption to display his glory. So in in this sense, creation exists for the sake of redemption. But in another sense, redemption exists for the sake of creation. It was because creation experienced a fall due to our sin that redemption was needed in the first place. And the whole purpose of redemption is to restore what was lost in creation. And in the final consummation, that very happy ending that we're looking forward to, creation won't just be restored. The new heavens and earth will be far, far better than the original Garden of Eden ever was. Your thoughts are reminding me of a message by E.V. Hill, God at His Best. Have you heard a recording of that, Mike? I have not, I'm afraid. You are sadly missing out. I'll have to get you a recording. I heard a recording of a delivered at Moody College. At one point in that message, she asked the audience, you know, raise your hands if you've ever seen a pretty rose. And I gather that most people raise their hands. And he says, no, you haven't. Put your hands down. You haven't seen a pretty rose because you've only seen a rose that's gone through the fall. And you wait till the new heavens and the new earth when we will see uh, an untarnished rose. That will be quite a time to look forward to. Hmm. 
And when you start talking about how one day creation will be blessed and set free, when Christ's redemption purchased at the cross will be applied to all this physical world, we find something welling up in our hearts, I think, that can only be described by one word, longing, longing for creation to be as it was meant to be. It actually brings to mind the words of one of Edward Denny's hymns. He has more contributions in the Believer's Hymn book than anyone else, I think. And interestingly, one of his hymns that focuses so much upon the cross to Calvary, Lord, says this, Thy sympathies and hopes are ours. We long, O Lord, to see creation all below above, redeemed and blessed by thee. Hmm. I have that same longing. And uh, we're in good company because C.S. Lewis experienced deep longing as well. And he associated that longing with autumn and the wild open skies of the north. I said that letting this psalm closely knit redemption and creation together would help us enjoy this fall season more than ever. So I, I just want to tease that out now. Perhaps, though, I should say some of you don't enjoy fall at all. You dread winter. Or maybe this was the season in which you lost somebody special or started another year at that school where you were always bullied. Even for those of you with painful memories and sharp fears, this psalm has something to offer you. The picturesque landscape it paints for us at the end of the psalm gives us a little glimpse into the flourishing we will one day enjoy and experience when Christ reigns visibly on this earth. The last line of the psalm ends with the meadows and valleys shouting and singing together for joy. This language of creation singing with unbridled joy recurs throughout the Old Testament to point to a future day of Christ's reign. So just revisit the scene with me once more. The river cutting through the valley, the abundance and prosperity, no drought, no dryness, no death, no famine, abundant food and drink and shelter for everyone in the whole world, festivals joy, celebration, good cheer to all men, wagons overflowing, the ground bursting with grain. And Matthew, I just love this imagery of creation clothing itself. Hills girding themselves with joy, meadows clothing themselves with flocks of sheep, and valleys decking themselves with grain. And I have to admit, I especially love the sheep part. <laughs> I've had the wonderful blessing of walking with my wife in her native land in England uh, on some gorgeous September walks there where the abundant rain leaves everything a luscious green and you walk past a little bubbling brook and past hedges and spreading meadows and and we humans we clothe ourselves in sheep we use their wool for clothing and in a coming day when Christ reigns the meadows will clothe themselves with sheep and the valleys with grain everything will be as flourishing and joyful and good as God intended it to be. So this autumn, dear friends, this autumn, celebrate harvest. Rejoice over your garden vegetables if you have some. Take a drive through some valley. Have a picnic in a meadow. And all the while dream of what it'll be like when Christ is here. Let autumn stoke your longing for his arrival. Let harvest make you hungry for heaven. Thank you, Mike. Well put. And you've mentioned C.S. Lewis longing. And he experienced that longing, he says, even when he was an unbeliever. So I'm just wondering if you can bridge this to the subject of evangelism. How does the integration of redemption and creation help us evangelize our friends? 
as you said, C.S. Lewis experienced this longing while not a Christian. And I suspect our friends do too. You already share a love for creation or nature with them. Knowing that redemption is for creation gives you a bridge to talk to them about the gospel. There's many ways to do this, but I'll just give you one quick example from my own life. I have a friend who is an agnostic, self-proclaimed, and we've had him over for many enjoyable suppers. One night after sharing in a meal and in lots of other mutual interests, the spirit just enabled me to say something to this effect. I'll change his name. Just to say something like, Chris, I believe that what Jesus Christ did at the cross is good news for our world, that one day he will bring heaven on earth when he returns. What we've just enjoyed together as friends, this meal, this conversation, these shared interests, I really want to enjoy this with you forever. And just to say that as a true friend with real meaning, I believe it was meaningful and moving to him. We're still praying for his salvation, but it was an easy-ish opportunity to share our faith with him. I just have to mention quickly, another person who became my friend after stopping at a gospel booth we had, he turned out to be an environmentalist. And for that reason, he didn't want to take one of the books we were offering for free. That would be a waste of paper. No, he wanted to read it right there. And it was not a short read. And so it gave me quite a bit of opportunity to talk to him and led to many uh, natural conversations. Why? Because by God's grace, I'd already begun to see how the gospel, how redemption integrates with creation and made it very easy for me to bridge that in conversation with him. Thank you, Mike, because you're also teaching us that creation looks more beautiful when we look at it through the eyes of redemption. Yeah, so true. Alec Matir actually brings that out from the psalm. Start with redemption, and creation looks even brighter mm. when you start from redemption. He he quotes some wonderful lines from a hymn that says the same. Here, here they are. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. Well, those are great lines to finish with, so I will say no more except to say... Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Practicology Podcast. Hey, a special shout out and special thanks to any farmers listening to this podcast today, maybe in your combine. I know I am far removed from our agrarian roots, but we appreciate the work that you're doing, many ups and downs in that labor. And uh, we pray that today your faith in God will be firm and you will rejoice more in creation around you. Thanks for the work you do and may this psalm be a special encouragement to you and to all our listeners. Amen. God bless everyone.